Hello, and welcome to Creepy Core and Folklore, the show about creatures, encounters, old tales, and myths. I'm your host, Iona Wayland, a dark fantasy author, mental health professional, and overall curious person. I want to join other spooky souls and hear about these unusual stories. Hey there, spooky soul. Thank you for tuning in. This episode so far has been the toughest to work on. It was suggested to me by my brother and husband. Uh, They both wanted me to do an episode on these little creatures. And just like their elusive nature, it was really hard to find information on them. And so when I say it was hard, Uh, It's not hard like it was difficult to read about like some of the other topics have been. It was hard as in like, where the heck could I even find this information? It was crazy difficult to find information about them. So this episode is going to be about the puka. So uh, what I like about this is I'm actually going to cover not just the puka, but a different creature. Um. And it kind of follows the whole like dark horse mythology. There's a lot of stories about dark horses. Um, these are, aren't even the most two prolific ones, but they were two that I felt kind of like went together to kind of compare and contrast the differences in these stories. For those of you who haven't heard of them before, they're from Celtic folklore. Uh, they have kind of mixed reviews on them. Like they, they're pretty polarizing they seem seem to either bring good luck or bad fortune. Um, and puka, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, and I'm sure a lot of these words I'm going to be saying wrong, so bear with me here, um, is uh, Gaelic or Irish for ghost. Um, it seems like these puka stories and folklore and like legends seem to stem from rural and marine communities. Um And uh, we'll kind of learn more about that in a second. But it was funny because so my brother really wanted me to cover it because I used to have this like folklore book. I mean, I still have folklore books, so I don't know why I said I used to. But I'm thinking about like when I was a kid, he's much younger than me. um, So I would uh, read him stories out of it and we'd both freak each other out. Um, He's not as much of a scaredy cat as I am. But when I'm like 12 and he's like four years old, then you can see why it would maybe scare someone a little more. (laughs) It would probably scare a four-year-old more than it should have scared me as a 12-year-old. But anyway, so uh, of course in middle school, well, all all through elementary, I was really into folklore, cryptids, and stuff like that. But in middle school was when Um, I kept like getting all these books about them because I would go to like Borders Books, RIP Borders Books, um, and get uh, all the things I could get. And and then I was like, oh, this is nonfiction. And it's like, sort of. (laughs) But I was like, oh, I read tons of nonfiction books, but they were like all about, (laughs) they were all about folklore. But one of the things that really freaked him out was the puka. But it was neat to kind of see it... um, in kind of like a fun and whimsical way. Um, They always seem to be like pranksters. And I just thought that was really cool. So he and I have, have like a history of like him wanting me to read about the puka and like him constantly looking into them and stuff like that. 
And so that's why my brother suggested it. My husband suggested it because he had never heard of it before. He was, I have this big list of all the different topics I want to cover in the future. Um, and I was like, honestly, just pick anything from this list because there's so many different options I could do. I'm a little overwhelmed. And he picked the puka. And I was like, that's so weird that you did that because my brother just asked me to do that like last week. So I was curious. I was like, why did you pick this creature? And he was like, I've never heard of it before. What is it? And I'm like, oh, well, let me do an episode on it and then you can listen to it. Um <laughs> I'm just kidding. I told him what it was briefly, but I I really like that I can deep dive into these things on this podcast. But like I was saying before, um, it's this elusive creature from Celtic folklore. Um, It can take on many different forms. So from what I could find, um, there was a big long list of it, but there's horses, cats, rabbits, ravens, foxes, wolves, goats, goblins, dogs. Um, They're also sometimes even humans with um, kind of like animalistic features. So like maybe some pointy ears or a tail or both. Um, They tend to either have black or white fur, um, though every single story that I saw, which wasn't a lot, admittedly was not a lot. um, They all had black fur. But they can just like shapeshift and take on the looks of these kind of like kind of more distinguishable creatures other than the human with more like uh, animal type looks. Uh, They almost always are animals. They very rarely take on the form of a human. I just thought the etymology, this is where I'm going to really mess up the words here. I thought the etymology of puka was interesting um, because like I was saying before, it's an old Irish word. Um, it's Gaelic for ghost. But what's odd about that is that it was actually taken, Puka was taken from Old English. So that's pretty cool. Um, in Old Icelandic, it, it's called the Puki, which means mischievous demon. In Norwegian, it's Puke, which is devil or evil spirit. Um, in Old Swedish, it's Puke, and that is the same devil or evil spirit in Swedish it's Puke devil or evil spirit and in old Danish it's Puge um I'm sure I did all of those wrong (laughs) so if you um want to look up any of these sayings um you can look at the show notes of the reference I used the reference being this time around Wikipedia because no not really anywhere else had more information so also to uh any listeners that know more about it, I would love to have more references because as much as I love Wikipedia and I think it has such a wealth of information, I usually like to have a couple different sources. And for this one, it was mainly just coming from the one. The outlook of this creature is really, really polarized. They seem to either be regarded as kind or troublesome. I'm going to go over different stories about how they're considered troublesome, versus how they're considered kind and like different folktales regarding those two different backgrounds that they have. So with regards to the troublesome side of the puka, here are some stories uh, about it. So very, very long ago, it seems like is when more often than not the troublesome stories popped up. Um, It was said that the puka went after like the quote wicked minded 
I'm not sure what that totally means, but um, there were several stories about how the puka would take on the look of like a wild colt. And for those of you that don't know, um, a quick Google search says a colt is a male horse, usually below the age of four years. Um, so, you know, in horse years, that's like just a little young buck, but it would take on the look of a wild colt with chains hanging from them. So like maybe around their neck or around one of their legs so that travelers would try and catch them as their own or even try and free them. Um, but they would do harm to those unsuspecting travelers that came across their path. Kids were also warned not to eat over ripened blackberries because it was a sign that a puka had been there. Um, I also want to add in here that you probably shouldn't eat over ripened blackberries anyway. They would taste gross or maybe be fermented. That wouldn't be fun uh, for children to eat. So maybe that was kind of like more of a folklore of like, oh, those berries, they're over ripened. And so that means that the puka was here, you know, like as kind of a, a way to keep kids safe. Uh, another thing along the horse kind of lore is that it would apparently try to trick people into riding it when it's in its horse form so that it can, quote, scare them a bit by giving them a wild ride, unquote. And I thought that was cool to think about because one, there are some horses that do that no matter what, and they're very sparky and they like, <laughs> like do kind of like, they don't buck you off, but they like want to scare you. It's very rude. <laughs> But there are some horses with that kind of personality. So it makes me wonder, like, how much of that was just a very spirited horse or how much of that were actual pukas? <laughs> that would be fun to think. It's like, oh, the that must be a puka. And like, meanwhile, it's like just an asshole horse. Um, and then when they would take these these unsuspecting travelers on a wild ride, then they would drop them back off at the spot where they had been kidnapped Um so right they would just basically like meet them on a trail convince them to ride on their back go for like a horribly scary ride through like the brambles or bushes or tree branches and make them feel like they're about to fall off and then just kind of like plop them off right back where they pick them up like not actual harm done but a lot of <laughs> emotional scarring i would think there is a story of one person who was able to actually ride a puka it was Brian Baru, um, the High King of Ireland at the time. He apparently, the, so the story goes, had a special br bridle with three hairs of the puka's tail. And so according to legend, um, this king was able to ride the puka uh, and train, train it as long as it had that magic bridle on it. So I also think it's fascinating that you know, this is when kings and queens were, th I mean, kings and queens are still a thing. Um, but this was when they had a lot more power with regards to like, oh, we were chosen by like God or like we have divine blood in our system. And that's why we were chosen to be king. It's really interesting that there were like kind of folk tales to reinforce that thought process about royalty that they are where they're supposed to because even King Brian Baru was able to train a puka. Like, how cool is he? He He's the smartest and best in all the lands. Like, I could see that being kind of like propaganda for the king. But that's just me speculating. Another tip for people who aren't royalty, just like regular farm folks, 
is to try not to be scared on the wild ride. Um, that would be hard not to do, but you know, some coming from someone who's been on many wild rides before <laughs> on spirited horses, um, that's, it's hard to stay calm, but it said that like the person who finds themselves trying to control the puka in horse form should also use iron spurs. Um, there's history of this like rhetoric to use quote sharp things unquote around any kind of fey folk. Like this wasn't puka specific, but I thought it was cool that like this is kind of this legend. The legend kind of holds up like sharp things help with the fey folk and then also um there's some lore around cold iron uh regarding safety around anything that's like unexplained it was considered like um a safety measure to have cold iron on you it doesn't have to be in the form of spurs this is very the spurs themselves are puka specific but it's just interesting that that was the trait it kind of took on as a way to be like a ward against any kind of supernatural being. But those are some of the like troublesome sides of the puka. As the legends carried on, there were more benevolent aspects to them. So they can be really helpful to farmers apparently. So like farmers were said that if they offered them a gift, like a coat, um, there was this, there was a story about this one where a farmer gave a coat um, this farmer named, I think his name is Padraig, but I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. P-A-D-R-A-I-G. Um, apparently the puka, uh, appeared as like a human, um, that was kind of like thin and, uh, cold. And so Padraig gave him, um, a coat and then the puka took on the appearance of a young bull and uh, like whenever the farmer wasn't looking and came to the mill at night and worked um, to mill sacks of corn into flour uh, for the farmer. And the farmer would even try and figure out who was helping him. And it wasn't until he was able to not accidentally fall asleep while standing guard at the mill at night. He stayed awake and he saw that the the bull that had just suddenly appeared on the farm morphed into that human he had given the coat to and was milling the sacks of corn into flour. There was also a fine silk suit left for the farmer. And this farmer was so uh, able to be ahead of work with the milling and with um, able to present himself well with the silk suit that he became really wealthy and he was able to give his son a proper education. And uh, when his son got married, uh, his son actually got a gift of a gold cup. And if the son and the farmer and the bride drank from that, um, they would be happy for all the rest of their days. So I thought that was really cute. The puka believes in love, clearly. But I thought that was really sweet, um, where that offering of a coat kind of turned into like a lifelong guardian type support aspect to this farmer and his legacy. Um, sometimes they're said, like, even though they're tricksters, they don't have ill will towards humans. Um, so sometimes they're said to intervene before an accident. Um that a person is about to have or before a person runs into an evil fairy or spirit. So what it'll do is it will pr pretend to be 
like I think the the word they used was like a bewildered human so like a forlorn human that's like oh please I need your help and will lure them away from whatever evil entity is about to meet them or whatever misfortune was about to meet them there are even farmers who have agricultural traditions to this very day especially during Samhain and for those that don't know uh Samhain is the first day of November, I think. Um, and it started as like an ancient Celtic festival that is supposed to be like the coming of winter kind of thing. But uh, during Samhain, uh, there would be a harvest festival, of course. And so some of the reapers uh, would leave small shares of whatever crop they were reaping for the puka themselves. And um, also, whatever they weren't able to reap by Sawin was considered puka or fairy blasted, which I'd never heard of the term like puka blasted or fairy blasted. But basically what it means is that the crops are then inedible because they belong to the fey realm now. And I just thought that was really, really interesting that like even to this day, like there are still some like, okay, we're going to leave some for the Fae folk um, or specifically the Puka for good fortune and then to help them out during the winter. And I think that's like really sweet. So the second creature that I was drawn to cover today was the Dullahan or the Dullahan. Um, it stands for Dark Man and it's also from Celtic mythology. So bear with me here while I potentially butcher these words. Um, it's supposed to be the embodiment of the Celtic god Chrome Duff or Dub. And it's atop a black horse as a headless rider who, um, and there's many different tales as to how this, this entity presents itself, but it's this rider who in some instances holds his severed head under his arm and he rides through the Irish countryside in search of someone who will soon die. And it's not just the Irish countryside, like Ireland popped up a lot, of course, but it's anywhere that's Celtic, like Welsh countrysides, Scottish countryside, stuff like that. Um, but sometimes it was said to be riding a headless black horse, which is just also horrifying to me. But it's also sometimes said to be riding in a carriage pulled by six black horses. Um, and this carriage is said to be made of coffins and bones of the lives he's taken. The um, horses that are pulling this carriage, and sometimes as a lone horse, it's said to, it's described this way, but can be seen as fire shooting from their nostrils and hooves when they strike the ground. Um, apparently the severed head is rotting and has a terrible odor. There were many different reports about this entity that was like, it smells like rotting cheese or it smells like rancid dough. So it was like really specific, like that rotting cheese smell, which is just gross, but kudos to them for using all the senses in their storytelling. Um, the mouth is said to be kind of split into a grin and sometimes he's said to have fire in his eyes. So apparently he blasts through anything in his path. So whether it's gates or trees or rock walls, he just seems to be able to blast through it on his steed. Um, it's said not to look directly at him or that the person will go blind. Um, and I think it's not because like he's 
really, really bright or anything like that, like from the flames coming out of his steed and his eyes. But because he'll lash at their faces with a whip made from a human spine. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, man, you really don't like eye contact. Um, he's like, don't look at me. And we'll like whip their faces with a human spine. Or um, it said he'll sometimes throw blood into their faces and blind them with this like rancid blood. Um, to avoid looking directly at him, people are said to have to like hide behind their curtains or under their covers um, to not risk potentially looking at him. Um, he's said to speak only once from his severed head on his journey through rural villages. Um, he only says the name of the person whose soul he'll take that night. Um, he appears after sunset on certain festivals and feast days. So my guess is Sawin would be one of those times, um, like we were talking about before. But you can only protect yourself by throwing precious metals at the steed's feet. Um, so the, these precious metals, and I would wonder if cold iron is one of those things. But if you were to throw the precious metals at the steed's feet, it causes the horse to rear and then flee in the opposite direction. So it is really um, enlightening to see where this myth actually stemmed from. So apparently, Kromdov, the Celtic god that this Dullahan is based off of, is the god of the Celtic god of fertility. But in order to remain fertile, whether it's with um, fertile by being able to have children or by being able to reap good crops that year, it didn't matter like what fertile meant to you. You had to have a human sacrifice because apparently he demanded human sacrifices. Um, and the preferred method of these human sacrifices was said to be decapitation. And... According to multiple sources, this was actually occurring. Um, I'm really not familiar with um, ancient religions. So this was like interesting to me that it didn't stop until Christianity was like the new norm. And um, they, it, the whole Christian mission came to um, Ireland um, back in the day. And the story, like even though, and apparently you know, with Christianity, the human sacrifice thing uh, was moved to be like more about animal sacrifices. And then from then on, it morphed into no sacrifices, I believe. Um, but it's interesting how there was a history of different kind of rituals that ended up feeding into the very image of Dullahan. Um, the story is still very much alive to this day. And the most popular telling in America is um, Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, um, The Headless Horseman. Uh, it was, The Headless Horseman was considered apparently how in this particular depiction of The Headless Horseman uh, of Sleepy Hollow was apparently a Hessian soldier. Uh, that was slain during the American Revolutionary War. I didn't know what a Hessian soldier was, but I looked it up um, and 
today's a Wikipedia day because Wikipedia tells me (laughs) that the Hessians were German soldiers who served as auxiliaries to the British army during the American Revolutionary War. That's why I probably hadn't heard of it. Um, I've also seen that Hessian is uh, like the actual dictionary definition of it is a strong coarse fabric made from hemp or jute used for sacks. So it makes me wonder if maybe they use that as um, their clothing. Actually, no. It's because 65% of um, the Germans who fought on the British side came from German states of Hesse Kassel. Um, man, I'm having a hard and Hesse Hano. Wow, this is difficult um, <laughs> to pronounce. I'm so sorry. Thank you for bearing with me. Um, this was, both of these stories were very short and there weren't that much information on either of them. Definitely more for the Headless Horseman than the Puka though. Oh my gosh. But I'd be curious to see like if there's any information I'm missing, if anyone knows more about it or is curious about it. This is definitely something I could deep dive into a bit more and be more um, and like potentially dig deeper into these histories. Um, If anyone has like corrections or updates or anything that they've heard that's been slightly different than what I'm reporting on. it would be interesting to see how the oral tradition has caused these stories to kind of change um, as they traveled through the years and like survived different retellings of it. So thank you for listening to this dark horse episode, um, looking at some spooky tales and I will talk to you next week. Thanks to all you spooky souls out there for listening to Creepycore and Folklore. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok if you're looking for more uncanny content. If you have your own tales to tell, you can email creepycoreandfolklore at gmail.com. If you liked this, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, or tell a friend who might enjoy these stories to spread the word. If you're interested in dark fantasy, check out my Hollowverse series. Ashes is available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and audiobook on Audible, and the sequel is underway. I'm Iona Wayland, and I'll see you next time.